0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Talking Drum, Konjul's limited podcast series, where we explore the aesthetic and affective links in Africa's musical echo chamber through conversations with cultural producers, DJs, researchers, and musicians from various geographies across Africa and the African diaspora. My name is Zara Julius, Konjul founder and your host for the season. Today we speak with a dear friend of mine, Walid Khalifi, who's currently in uh, Abidjan, he's an Algerian-born cultural producer and communication strategist with uh, his company called Anzul, Um, and he's currently based between Abidjan and Johannesburg. And in this episode, we explore notions of diaspora being, or what he terms kidnapping, uh, we explore grief and pan-africanism as it relates to north africa and its relationship with sub-saharan africa through music and really i'm i'm so kind of grateful for this episode because it it is um you know it it explores various conversations around what it means to grapple with the nation state as an idea right and and, and how how does that impact our everyday um, as citizens of the continent, um, and it's really a deeply personal and intimate um, offering that Walid has offered us, and so I hope it is uh, received with as much generosity. At the end of this episode, Walid also treats us uh, to a selection of exclusive field recordings from of music from the Tassili and Agar regions of Central Sahara um in south and southeastern algeria so do stay tuned for that at the end at the end of the episode this week you won't be hearing too much from me i'm really just playing a role of listener this episode um but just a note that the audio for this is not the best um but bear with us the conversation um is really worth kind of pushing through Okay, Talking Drum with Khalid Khalifi. Enjoy. So welcome to Talking Drum um, through Kondjo. Um I wonder if we can maybe start off with an introduction and you can kind of just introduce yourself and like let us know, you know, who is Khalid and what it is that kind of occupies your time?
1: Mm, So, I'm an entrepreneur to make it kind of easy, and within that entrepreneurial spirit, um, I'm a producer, a um, filmmaker, and um, an artistic director. I wear many hats. And it's something to do with the fact that um, North African born and raised, and ended up um, living in the diaspora for over a decade. Um, then moved back mostly to West Africa, Ghana, Ivory Coast. This is where I'm based now. Um, with a little time in South Africa in Joburg, which so I miss very much. So what I do is I, um, I run my own company in the multimedia, art and consultancy space. Yeah.
0: Okay, great.
1: I can, I can introduce myself in other ways if you want.
0: What does that sound like, a different introduction of Hualid? So, sure, we know who you are professionally, what, is that, what are the other, the other faces of, of you?
1: Um, I'm someone who is obsessed about exploring the continent and some people do translate that as what's wrong with this dude hopping from one place to another Uh, so I was counting the other day that um, Nigeria was the 29th country where I spent solid time in the continent so I'm um, in certain ways a uh, Um, a Pan-Africanist, if you want to put it this way. So, I see it from an entrepreneurial creative economy perspective. So, I'm someone who has crossed this continent in various contexts and covered various um, scenes I've done conflict photography all the way to urban and fashion um, photography. I've done documentary on climate change, and displaced people, all the way to kind of celebratory festivals and happy moments. So I find my balance in in, in stories that kind of break down my own path of having been brought up in a civil war and uh, having also experienced a lot of bright moments and a lot of joy and um, lightheartedness despite, you know, the quite messed up nature of Algeria in the 1990s. And as I move around the continent and, countries and of spaces, enduring various, uh, enduring various moments of the cycle of these young nation states. I see bits and pieces of you know of my of my life, of my upbringing, of my um, pains, of my healing, of my ambitions.
0: Okay, um, yeah, interesting. I mean, there's a lot there. I think. What I'm really excited about when speaking with you is, you know, we, we had we had a conversation prior around, you know, like what your interest would be, you know, in potentially contributing to this podcast series um, and, you know, what kind of music, you know, you would love to kind of bring forth as an offering for us, right? And initially our conversation was very much around like, you know, electronic music that's coming out of the Algerian diaspora and reggae music that's coming out of the Algerian diaspora. And then when it came around to you sending me tracks, you sent me like two gigs worth of music. And it seemed like the process of of like, you know, collating that music and and, and doing that digging sent you down almost a different path than it seemed like you were expecting to go down. I'm not sure if I'm reading this correctly, um, and so I'd love to kind of hear what path that sent you down and, and, and how that deviated potentially from what it is you originally uh, thought.
1: Yeah, I, th- I had thoughts initially to kind of uh, look into um, some of the remixes which are quite popular now um, uh, when, I, when I actually came around to listening. So the music and sending it to you I ended up you know going down memory lane and, and wanting to um, hear some of uh, some of these original tracks and what they meant to me at the time and kind of when I was listening to them and the correlation of the of the period I was uh, I was living at that particular time so it was an exercise of um, really figuring out how how my m- musical ears are tightly linked to um, certain aspects of uh, nostalgia, certain aspects of uh, sustaining the fragile connectivity I have with uh, the land. And, I mean, it was also a way for me to um, to tingle certain uh, sentiments because some of that music triggers uh, feelings of wanting to embrace a memory and I would sometimes avoid listening to a certain album, certain song just because of where they would take me emotionally.
0: Mhm. Mhm. I hear you. Why don't we, we, we jump into a track here quickly? Um, so you sent a bunch of music that you say kind of helped encapsulate or, or raise your masculine sensibility um, in terms of music. Um, so I wonder if we can jump into one of those tracks.
2: Kaff <laughs> I'm I don't need your love. وقت النهايه يلي يشقى لو يعاصدني النا منو النار وقت اللصا اللي هتمرع
1: let um, has got various versions of live recordings. I don't even know if it's got like a studio recording version. And the first time I listened to it was uh, a compilation of a live that Atman Bali did in Constantine, which is my hometown in northeast Algeria. And I had listened at the time to various types of like, twerring music. And it was, you know, usually, um desert blues or some kind of like Sahara Rock, a lot of guitars, a lot of um, a lot of men in many ways or we found like a five piece band like Tinari Wen and maybe one um, a female active vocalist that that was the kind of like um, desert blues that we were used to at the time. And then what attracted me Listening to Kevin and the rest of that live uh, is the fact that you feel from the very beginning that kind of people are playing the music sitting down, not standing up, and that's that uh, kind of settles the whole different sentiment all together,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, and then listening. To Bali, I mean, you, you you wanna realize that yes, he he's he's the lead on vocals and on on oud. Like realizing that some, a southern musician uh, plays the oud that it sounds very very different than a northern uh, musician from the Atlas or from the coast or uh, from the inland, and then all all that. Dialectic, all that um, back and forth that happens with his own mother uh, as the lead of, uh, of his band and, and involving his aunties and members of family, and the backup vocals, and also the, the poetry, which a lot of I don't understand word by word because it's, uh, um, I mean, some of it is in Arabic, some of it in like Derjah. You know, uh, dialects, and some of it is in Tamashek, the, um, the Amazigh language in the south of Algeria and elsewhere in the Sahel. So that specific song opened my mind to a whole new world and made me once to visit the side of southern Algeria that I didn't know, which is Janet and the district of Elisi by the border of Niger. And also I was curious because a lot of um, Southern musicians in Algeria, like the, the names of the songs would not be at all in Arabic. And Kef and Nun are just two letters. Kef as in K, Noon as in e, N. And uh, also like the, the two words together, if you put Kef and Noon. Like these two letters, sorry, it constitutes a word. It's called Kun, It means like B, like exist and um, that just triggered my curiosity, um, yeah.
0: Well, this is also the thing is like often when you and I spend time together and we speak about the continent, of, of course, like it's one of the many things we have in common is the love for the continent, right? Um, when we start to speak about North Africa, what often comes up is, you know, the, the anger around the ways in which these borders were, were drawn on, right, with the Berlin Convention and, and how essentially you can't speak about Algeria without speaking about Tunisia. You can't speak about, you know, those spaces without speaking about Morocco. Um, and so for me, when I'm listening to this music, the, the only the references I'm making have nothing to do with Algeria, you know, because my reference point for Algeria is virtually non-existent. I've never been. I know maybe like four people from Algeria and that's pretty much it, right? Um, and so for me, when I'm listening to this music and I'm hearing the oud, I'm thinking obviously of probably one of the most well-known oud players globally, like Dafu Um And then I'm also making these connections, like you say, with particular types of, of Tuareg music. Um, from, like, Niger or from Northern Mali, you know. Um, And, yeah, I wonder if you can maybe, like, shed some light on on the ways in which music and obviously music is is one thing, but music is also ritual, music is also life-making, right? It's not just music. Um, Mm. But the ways in which there's a a really clear kind of fluidity between, you know, amongst the region of... uh, culture but also and music more specifically in terms of you know aesthetic styles and also the ways in which music is maybe utilized within that region
1: i think there are two things that music does in post-colonial spaces resistance to the legacy of that um uh, process and then adaptation to the notion of the state um so the resistance around music in North Africa in general is uh, is something you see, especially in Rai music between Algeria and Morocco. How these two um, nations, so I mean both are like sixty years old, each claim kind of um, older roots through, you know, kingdoms and. Uh, the rest of it but uh, at the end of the day those borders uh, remain a a, f- a fabrication a, a a non-welcome mutation that has divided um, families and loved ones across the border uh, and despite the rising nationalism despite the fact that people were pumped and fed uh, almost fascist sentiments with flag and state symbols, fabricated overnight to keep those large spaces together. Ryan music was the thread that kept the love between Algerians and Rockians, for example. There is absolutely nothing that can shape that if you come to, you know, um, Musicians like Chef Hasni, for example, you, you can divide Algerians and Moroccans on so many levels. The conflict of Western Sahara, you can divide them on, you know, who's responsible for the trade of, of psychotropes. You can, you can just an, there are infinite ways of how um, North Africans in, belonging to various states can fight or hate or one another. Uh, but music comes in and soothes all those spaces and I've experienced it under my own skin. So that's that's a kind of silent aesthetic resistance to the post-colonial process. And there is a constant revisionism of the notion of borders when it comes to music. People are uh, taken to spaces of, of sentiment, of beauty, of um, of basically escaping the the, the short term legacy and it plunges them back into a, a much bigger meaning and they end up feeling connected. Then the same way if you visit the music of the South or Atman Bali again, you see you see the resistance and how that Attractive music is still very much linked to the Asawa spaces, North Northern Mali and uh, Northern Niger, Tuareg communities in Libya, just across the border, mm. uh, all the way to Mauritania, Southern Morocco, um, all the way actually to so Northern Nigeria, North East Burkina Faso. Uh, you, you feel that, but you know those rhythms and those patterns and and the drumming especially. Um, mm keeps those uh, connections beyond the geographic uh, divisions but also it has a degree of adaptation so atman Mali has incorporated has incorporated the and and sing in or one form or another of Arabic it's also embracing another identity of of the nation state so when that nation state came through, you know, Arabic and French stood there as colonial um, languages and everybody spoke Amazigh or uh, Derrige, which is a hybrid language between, um, you know, French, Arabic and Amazigh. And with with music, you feel a sense of um, social building in the sense that if you're a twilight musician or if you're... Uh, a a Namazian musician from uh, the north, which is the case for uh, for Korea, Uh, we will listen to her in a bit, they kind of heal um, those sudden fractures, because when people are told suddenly in the early 60s, this is who you are, this is the name of your country, these are the boundaries of your of your feeling, of your belonging, of your you know sentiments, then this creates a, a fracture, it creates um a wounding way. So people, musicians choosing to express themselves in various languages, using various dialects and and and, and even bringing in sound and instruments from other parts of uh, Algeria like Atman Bali has done or Hauriya has done. It's settles the people in and uh, makes them feel more um, more at ease uh, with the imposition of the nation state mm. so there are two ways yes it connects and there is a resistance of the colonial process but there is also something that goes in parallel with um, with the often problematic process of nation building and nationalism and uh, but yeah adaptation and resistance this is how I see it mm,
0: mm-hmm. yeah that, that, that last part is, 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 is almost crucial I think um, because often we like to think about um, and, and this has come up in, in a lot of conversations in fact you know often we like to think about music as being especially on the African continent, we like to think of like music and resistance being hand in hand, right? But what are the ways in which music actually reinforces particular types of you know, systems or organizational structures like you say, like the nation state, which I think often is pretty much overlooked. But with that said, I mean, so you kind of drew my attention to uh, the Pan-African Cultural Festival that was held in, in Algeria in 1969. Uh, which, so I, so my, my reference point, right, for these kind of like pan-African festivals that happen on the continent is like Festac, Zaire, um, 74, but these are like a, almost a decade or half a decade after this, this cultural festival that happened in, in, in Algeria in 69, which I think in, in some ways speaks to exactly what you just brought up, the ways in which music and and, and congregating and facilitating emergent music, right, in what was then obviously contemporary, um, helps disrupt, but also reinforce. Uh, And obviously in this context, it's the reinforcing of, um, I suppose, more like liberatory spirits. Um, But what's really interesting for me, I mean, so William Klein made like a little documentary, about the festival, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but yeah. what's what's fully radical for me is being able to see like all these different like musical traditions and, and, and cultures from across the continent performing in the streets, but for other Africans. Because today, when you see these types of expressions of cultural identity, it's often for people from the West, right? And the, the kind of pan-Africanism that that is held at the core of that festival. I I wonder what what you would say that looks like now.
1: I think I think there is no such a thing now uh, for <laughs> various reasons. But well, the leaders of that time they did uh, they, they did engage in many problematic political uh, behaviors or. Or even criminal behaviors. Right. Um, but one thing that a lot of them did have, uh, including the uh, the Algerian leadership at the time, uh, is l- looking at culture um, and performing, performing arts as a way of um, creating seeds of real pan Africanism. It was a bit. It was around the same era where the Europeans were building those institutions in Brussels and in Strasbourg, and they were all about the European Union. And African leadership took a different direction. So instead of looking into building the institutions, and all of that they did, in my eyes, the right thing. Uh, trying to bring people together to live um, The experiences which they cherish the most, celebration, Um, and there was a genuine desire uh, to to have people mingle um, through music, theatre, literature, um, visual arts, discovering basically the. Where the legacies of uh, the ancestral legacies intersect, from you know, from Algiers all the way to Cape Town, from uh, Cairo to Rabat, from Dakar to Mogadishu, Uh, that that was the feeling. Of course, it was all um, submerged by the process of Cold War. And that, I think, what also has influenced a lot of um, cultures across the continent, because people, um, it, it, people have had to adhere uh, to another form of um, ideology which represented like, economic survival, be it you know, aligning with the Soviet bloc or with, with the Westerners. Uh, And pan Africanism took a kind of took a hit and was in the background, so it was not it was not like the reference ideology anymore, um, because those those leaders at the time have had to take a uh, different, uh, they've had to prioritize the economic survival of their own regime, and, and that kind of created that hegemony within which. The, the the idea of cultural artistic union that pan Africanism had it started dying out uh, and people moved into um, Soviet or American pragmatism so yeah but it doesn't mean I think I think the seeds of all these things are there. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a matter of um, really digging out that spirit and, and, and having a bunch of people from various spaces in the continent truly believe that it is possible to have another wave of, um, of, uh, of Pan-Africanism. In, I mean, our, our union in the continent can only be Um, can only be cultural and artistic, and it can only be heartfelt. Um, It can't be institutional, it can't be political, it can't can't be uh, democratic representation and all of that. And and, and, and it has to be entrepreneurial as well, because the idea of creative production is what we've done for a very long time. Um, Brown and black people in diasporas all over are killing it in in various ways and that has to do really with an ancestral legacy. It's not only just reaction of the Algerian diaspora in France or the Nigerian one in the UK or whatever. It's um, it's deeply it's deeply related to um, how strong people feel that connection to uh, to that culture and and how much resistance there is against the process of being kidnapped, because a lot of us in the diaspora and those spaces, I have spent half of my life in the diaspora, and I do feel that the process of migration, having to go, uh, whatever, study, spend time, navigate, like you're forced, you're whipped to go there because it's kind of for, uh, some of us who grew up and didn't have any of that privilege, you're forced to to go into the kidnapping experience. This is at least how it feel, how it felt, and how it still feels like in hindersight. And music is something that um, that keeps the anger in a positive way. It keeps it alive. That you know, we we have. We have been kidnapped and and taken away for generations and generations. Even legal migration is a form of forced process which shows you your your only way out is an economic route that goes via Paris, London, New York, Berlin, whatever. Um, I know that I'm going all over the place with... um, would answer that question. But uh, yeah, after that one um, Pan-African edition of 1969 in Algiers, I think uh, such a thing is not going to happen in the same form anytime soon, but other things are brewing in various spaces from a creative production and entrepreneurial aspects. And People just need to keep on believing that it is an ideology tied to the hearts and tied to our collective dignity. So there's no uh, there's no other way apart from actually believing in it. So yeah.
0: yeah. No, I, I totally hear you. I mean, it's interesting hearing you speak. Um, I, I think it's like in some ways I see like such a um like a clear like optimism in, in in what you're saying but it's masked in like the cynical kind of like feeling around around like yeah. where, where we are right and, and it's almost like in order for the in order for the optimism to kind of like survive you kind of have to like dabble in like almost grotesque amounts of like Uh, cynicism, right? Because it's like those two things almost like co-implicate each other in in some type of way when it comes to thinking through any kind of uh, I suppose for lack of a better term like Pan-African promise. Yeah? Yeah,
1: I mean one needs to be sober. Um, I mean, when we you know, we listen to music when we are sober and we listen to music when we are uh, high and dreamy and stoned, or having a little liquor inside of us—that's not my case. But um, the idea is that one ought to, to do both.
0: Well, so, so you mentioned rye as like an example of of, of, the, of a kind of uh, sharing and reinforcing across across North Africa. Do you want to choose a track? You did mention Chef Hasni but...
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean Chef Hasni is someone who who resisted and he was widely applauded for this before his assassination and even uh, respected for the stances he took. Shep Hasni is someone that remained really Deeply entrenched into what it means to to express yourself sentimentally, as uh, especially as a North African male, and I think he responded a lot to that kind of um, or to that oppressed feminine side of the North African male. <laughs> Like like a letter to to the husband of the woman he loves and to, to to ask him to take care of her or whatever like things which are uh, rather not mainstream in terms of sentiments that they weren't mainstream because of um, of uh, Shabhastin I remember very well as, as a child growing into teenage how you know Shabhastin made people talk that looked like. Young, angry males, heterosexual males, especially in in the space of um, civil war, we made them talk about their sentiment. Chabasni touched so many strings, uh, especially for uh, those the populations of those three nations: Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia. And he 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 made he made music. Uh, kind of uh, another another tool for for healing and expression. And people, are, I remember very well how, like barber shops, uh, corner shops, uh, taxi drivers. You you take like a bus ride across the country, and or you just take collective taxi to just hop from one neighborhood to another and Shah Hasni is there mm-hmm. um, and it was um, it, it really touched the heart of um, of people of all gender
0: and so uh, what, what kind of time what, what kind of time frame are we looking at here? 90s 90s?
1: early to mid 90s so he was assassinated like a, a lot of um, figures uh, in the first part of uh, the 90s, but... Um,
0: and what, I mean, for those who are listening, who are not, I mean, of course, I, I will I will drop everything that we're speaking about in the show notes um, for those who are listening, but um, for those who are not aware of, you know, the, the civil war in Algeria, like, what kind of led to his, um, to Shephasani's assassination?
1: So, when Algeria went into its first ever... Pluralist elections, and I say the word pluralism with a lot of uh, cynism and um, contempt. Put it this way: there was a there was a coalition led. Um, bigger part of the coalition was uh, a, a populist party that um, had uh, um, political Islam as the backbone of its preaching, and then. Uh, the smaller part of the coalition was a kind of progressive, socialist left uh, party that had like the intellectuals and the academics and some of the artists behind it. And they were meant to... Uh, they, they basically won the first round of those legislative elections and the country was supposed to be on track to get out of the economic crisis. that um, The Cold War has put basically the entire global south in and within in the late 80s and the military backed by France and backed by the the silence and the oil contracted at the back of the silence by major western nations that that resulted into um, people being really frustrated and angry around the cancellation of those elections and they reacted in various ways, uh, but a lot of it was done within a context of economic squeezing. So gangsterism in all its forms and the various banners, including the banner of jihad and the banner of political Islam, or the banner of nationalism and fighting terrorism, or the banner of uh, the glorious legacy of... Uh, ALN, which is the Liberation Army that fought uh, the, the French colonizers in the fifties, so all of these people have taken up the arms, officially, non-officially, and there was that big question of who kills who. Um, but clearly, anybody who had uh, who had potential, um, mm. like Shem Hasni, who had who had a voice, so anybody who who kind of reached out to the masses with a message that that has life in it, but especially celebrated aesthetics of life, love, uh, dreaming, ambition, cohesion, uh, people who question the, the, the colonial um, legacy of Arabization, not of um, Arabic or the, uh, the Arab culture, because it is inevitably part of who we are, Arabic as a language and Arab, the certain aspects of the Arab culture, and, and that is part of who we are in Algeria, as much as it's part of how people are in today's Senegal, in today's Mali, in today's Somalia, in today's Kenya, in, and um, the those individuals like Shab Hasni who represented a counter thesis a threat um, where uh, were taken out of the way and that would be justified because uh, you are threatening you know the sovereignty of the state you are threatening the, the kind of stability of an entire nation because you're you know you you question the core of uh, who we are and mm-hmm. uh, the rest of it. So that that's what caused um, those bullets who hit Shapinski and many other people in the country at the time, and and made the music even more necessary and even more meaningful. Uh, and from music of love, mm-hmm. it's become the music of grief, right music, became a became music of grief for those who stayed in Algeria listening to it, and kind of um, having, you know, watery eyes about what the country and the society could have been had Serb and many others, um, uh, had, had they, uh, had the chance to pursue the ambition of the country they wanted to live in. And for those who left or had to leave because of the same process, the same music became a, a grief for nostalgia, a grief for the process of kidnapping, grief for the fact that they, they felt they could not Love each other, home, and they have to love each other in in um, in Paris or some kind of like French-born town or village or wherever they ended up living. Um, and it's hugely traumatizing, you know. You see in France that legacy is a huge of people who had to leave, um, including those who had to leave in the nineties.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Thank you for that. There's like so much there that you've just kind of offered. That's obviously really heavy. So what, what, why do not we do a thing where we um, we play, Jeff Mami's trap, as a kind of foil, of the two kind of um, rye, um, expressions, yeah. yeah.
4: ماليدي مانتي ربيع ماني شالي كويو عليك دكه هموت دكه هموت دكه هموت 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 اه <تصفيق>
0: you know you sent me you sent me two of the EPs that you helped kind of creative direct and produce um, with a ensemble that you put together called Al-Fukh assembly how, how, how does I mean, one pronounce it?
1: al assembly I mean Al-Fukh is it a word from from which means an Arabic idea, but in dialects basically can be means what the hell are you up to? what kind of fucker are you doing? Um, yeah, and the, I think the project came about and is in a very personal mm. capacity because it started building up 10, 11 years into the process of being kidnapped as a migrant into the UK and the US. And the process of gradually going back, so going back into to Algeria and, and meeting people and, and daring to trust into my own people and daring that we can, you know, create together things which are um, uh, beautiful and meaningful and, uh, to all of us. That 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 is, that was something that is deeply personal to me. So. It happened uh, at the back of that encounter with, uh, with Amin, Amin Leshidi, who's uh, uh, a vocalist and uh, multi-instrumental artist. And he did his full-time job at the time, and still is in many ways. is a taxi driver and a farmer. And he had never recorded before, had never been like a touring artist or, or anything of the kind. And we built a personal relationship. Um, by which, within which we both question, you know, some of our uh, fears and brokenness and insecurities and all of that, uh, directly and indirectly, and uh, we put together a mobile like um, studio setup and uh, travel with it and, and have kind of ambient. Um, multi-track recordings all over the place and see what happens. So it, it, it was like that, but it was definitely a process of me connecting back to where I come from and with my people. Um, and the first EP is much more meaningful to me than the second. It has a different type of meaning for the first one.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Is, uh, yeah it speaks directly to, to my heart. Mm-hmm.
0: So the first EP being Look South, correct?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, and I mean, so Look South, I'm assuming being looking south within Algeria, but also looking south outside of North Africa. Um, there's something yeah. about the project that to me feels it incredibly... I mean, again, just like Pan-African and that it's... There's sonic links and, 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 and rhythms and I suppose like influences that I'm hearing from you know various parts of the continent and I think often when people speak about Africa they're only speaking about sub-saharan Africa they completely omit North Africa and I'm assuming mm-hmm. the same is the case or you know it's a similar situation within North Africa where people don't consider themselves as part of black Africa um, necessarily yeah. right Um yeah. <laughs> And so maybe i'm maybe i'm projecting my own like analysis onto onto this album but there's something about this title even being look south that kind of speaks to all of these things at at once that i find that i resonate quite a bit with why don't we jump into Mm. a track i mean the titles of these tracks are very heavy (laughs) um of this of this first of this first album but yeah we can jump into the track Haggard wanderer, light, light content.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I named all of them. So I <laughs> of apologize. course, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I apologise for the the heaviness, <laughs> but it, it is what it is. This is how, how this is how it felt, and this is, in many ways, how it still feels now. <laughs> Uh, where we both feeling emotionally at the time, and what's interesting about the the sonorities of that EP, everybody who was on it is Algerian, but Algerian a different story, and speaking very different language and and having different influences, so arrive uh, or, or kind of um, uh, spiritual Sufi um, music and you hear it a lot in the album and and I mean comes from Constantine from the from the atlas from northern Algeria all the way to musicians on that record who come from uh, from Janet from Elize, who they have geographically, they're around the corner from Mali and Niger. Uh Some of the musicians who record, who are on the record, uh, have house origins, so that immediately takes them all the way down to Nigeria. The producer uh, comes from southwest Algeria, so his influences touch a lot on southern Morocco, Mauritania, West Africa, uh, especially, you know, when it comes to beat making and, and drumming and all of that, and but, but they they were all like Algerian kids, just from various regions. The country is massive, and they that tells you, that gives you like an idea of what people were feeling like, um, which have various tonalities um, and really. It goes to various geographies, but all those geographies and all those musical experiences exist within one country. If you you looking south, the idea of looking south is kind of almost looking south east, uh, and and everywhere it's not like looking north across the street from the Mediterranean. Uh, basically, looking to the to the global south in a way, or looking, you know, looking south within ourselves within. Uh, that uh, element of identity, because what has happened throughout the, the decades is that um, people for, for music, for film, for pop culture in general, they were looking for the validation of their own people in France. So if you are breaking a record as an Algerian or Morocco or whatever, in, in Paris, you're getting some sort of validation because it was produced and done in those spaces, and then when it comes mm-hmm. back home, it gets, like, that notoriety. Right. Uh, well, this is yeah.
0: what's really interesting, like, wh- when I hear he's speaking about, you know, the diaspora and, and, and the, you know, the ways in which the diaspora and, 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 and those in Algeria are kind of in conversation in terms of producing music versus, say when say South Africans are producing music and for an outside audience, right? Like we don't necessarily have much of a diaspora outside of the, uh, of um, the country, except if we're going to acknowledge um, like maybe South African diaspora in Australia, but that's, let's not even go, <laughs> go, go there. Right. Um, and also is that the diaspora? That's a big question mark as well. Um, but it's, the difference is that you know musicians in South Africa producing music for the outside are producing music for people who are not their people necessarily right they're producing music for western western audiences um and also for Mm -hmm. like western label kind of networks and and and, and structures yeah and distribution structures versus what you're speaking about is actually trying to gain recognition and acceptance from a diaspora which is essentially your people um and then that mm-hmm. kind of feeding back. So it's actually like it's a really interesting kind of um, intra, like a an intra conversation, but that is uh, fragmented geographically. But the conversation is still within, in, in, in a sense, even if you're just speaking about, um, mm-hmm. you know, Algerian musicians in Paris or any in, in part of France.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely, and you see this in. You know, in, in in rap music, in in house music, you see it in like uh, the reggae now that R and B reggae now that got really big in like in the late '90s and the early 2000s. Officially, there are five million Algerians in France, and um, I think the, the non-official number would. I mean, those who are undocumented, those, or those who are like short stay or whatever, it goes easily to 7 million. It makes it the biggest diaspora in Western Europe. Mm. Um, and um, as a lot of people make fun of Algerians and the flag, whatever, I believe that that diaspora, be it the Algerian diaspora or the big Nigerian diaspora that we have in Europe, or are certain countries uh, um, who whose historic process processes forced so many people, the Somali diaspora, the Eritrean diaspora, the Moroccan diaspora. Um, I mean, these are tens of millions. If you just look at Europe, or not even North America, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that producing music to them, and catering for um, the, the like arts. Um, sense in, in, in a way keeps keeps that bridge alive, keeps that fire burning, keeps that message that actually you belong here. And we see it massively now. I mean, I see it massively. Maxim- I've come back to the continent. I'm inevitably um, going to set up a space in North Africa. I'm going to Morocco in a few days. I can't wait for Algeria to open its borders. Um, I can't wait to set up um, an office and a creative team. In um, in uh, either Algeria or Morocco, over the next couple of years, when this Corona thing opens up, and a lot of uh, artists, even those who, including those who broke really big in France, are doing the same, uh, so that it, it is it's very sweet and beautiful in a way because when when people create something and they factor in those who have been taken away from, you know, the scents and the smells and the laughter and the sun of, um, of North Africa. And they endure for decades the, 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 the daily microaggressions and, and the, the depression of working for a Peugeot or a Renault factory or even being like a middle class. Successful banker or whatever in um, in those spaces, it doesn't cut it for a lot of people because at the end of the day, you know, whenever they feel those massive like surges of sentiments, it's the Algerian, the Moroccan, whatever flag that comes out, and and that celebratory, celebratory music that comes out, and and you know, there's a lot of teasing, we, we say, oh, like, these people are, like, more Algerians than the Algerians, so, uh, and I, I've, I felt it, and, and, I'm, and I'm proud that, you know, the North African spaces, which are often described, that people are so uh, nervous and so hot-blooded, and, yes, it's, they are, people tend to be, very traumatized and kind of they vomited onto people and it's very true but that comes also with a lot of um, expression and beauty and 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 artwork that is produced consciously and unconsciously to perpetuate uh, the love and the solidarity for for who we are because at the end of the day you know it's a matter of of um of self love is a matter of i mean if, if your own if you love your own music and adhere to your own like tastes of pop choices you are loving yourself you're loving your people you're loving and if you don't do that if if you if you for some reason think that catering for another audience um who might be more economically empowered, but you, you, yet you kind of like um, mm-hmm. let let the sense of who you are uh, disappear in that in that process, then there is also a part of self-love that dies with that, um, and mm-hmm. this is inevitably what happens to uh, a lot of artists and a lot of us, and it's part of resistance, but at the end of the day, Algerian music, given the, you know, the quiet, troubled history of um, the country, is a very fine thread, like this is what keeps a lot of us um, connected to to spaces and language and, and ancestral love and belief system or that otherwise we would have lost uh, a long time ago what i'm positive about and optimistic about is that there is so much there is so much heritage and there is so much um, potential for um for like modern day market consumption because you gotta look at it from a streaming point of view you gotta look at it from an economic point of view and um Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco is a hundred million uh, music market. If you put the diaspora together, you're talking about 120 million. just If you are just Algerians and the Moroccans in France and in Holland and Spain. Uh, so th- there, is, there is like a bright uh, horizon for, for engaging with ourselves through music, um, and yes, putting it in like whatever contemporary, modern, mainstream beats. I mean, for me, it's all very welcome and beautiful, and and directly on, and directly telling others who are far away that actually there is some of you in us and uh, some of us in you. Mm.
0: Mhm. For sure. I wonder if we can just jump onto these um, and to. This last artist that I would love to speak about, uh, Huria Ashi. Um, Yeah, I mean, this music kind of blew my mind. Uh, I mean, a lot of the music that you sent really blew my mind and kind of made me excited again but then also really really sad for me it's really important to be able to like listen to music within the context in which it's made right to be able i think you just you yeah. understand the vitality of the music so much more um mm-hmm. and what's been great is you know because you sent like literally two gigs worth of music i was listening i was able to listen to these tracks within the context of their albums which is really great for me mm-hmm. but this me, I mean, Hoodie's music, I listened to it and I was just like crying for the entirety of this album, he mm. sent me. Um mm. crying of joy and then also just like sadness and there's just like so much, there were so many incredible feelings that I was able to feel and I feel so grateful being, for being able to um, still feel that in response to music, you know, which I think is, for me at least, becoming more and more rare and so I know that you know there's a lot of sentiment there for you and and your relationship with her and her music. Maybe we can we can play um, a track or two of hers, and you can you can share with us what that relationship is.
1: So, you know, I I don't remember the last time I sat down and listened and listened to um, to an entire album or to a live. I used to listen to. Um, a couple of live shows, I have the recordings somewhere and um, I've seen her live as well. You know, the thing about Horia, um is th- those various dimensions of who she is as a person and I think it all comes out in in, in her music. The fact that she's, you know, she's a researcher, She's uh, she's a performer, she's uh, someone who's very serious about um, the kind of scientific academic approach, but when she makes the music, you feel that like may super raw element into what she does. And uh, for me, Horia is a bridge to my mom. I mean, I identify as a show. showy, showy is a, is a clan of Amazigh people in the mountains of. Ores, which is in eastern Algeria, inland, and um, the fact that I lost my dad when I was nine years old and my mom was 22, and that troubled kind of childhood, it's all, it's made me like a lot of kids in in this world, or at least in the continent that I know of, there is a lot of, like, much linearity to what I feel. Um, so, um, Horia coming from the same space where my mom was born and raised, recognizing her accent into my auntie's accent or so my uncle's way of like speaking and expressing themselves, and and that language, that heritage, that I recognize the sonority, but I don't have the full access to the language just because it skipped my generation for due to the identity conflict and the civil war in, in Algeria. So it's, I mean, it, 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 uh, it, it, does wake and awaken sweet thoughts towards, um, my mom, my, my grandmother, um, whom I feared just because I didn't know why, um, someone would have like all those tattoos on, on their face and not able to speak, like, the dialect that I was speaking in a big city. Um, and there are, like, various episodes of memories of my childhood in relation to everything around my mom, my mom, my mum's my mother, my, my mom having a coffee uh, in the afternoon on a hot summer day, my mom chatting to her sisters, us going to a wedding with my mum, despite the brokenness of her having lost her uh, her husband and lover in the most sort horif- horrific of ways. All all of these things come like pumping through uh, when I listen to Ria and the sound is very very distinct. It's very. Um, it's showy. I don't know how to say it for me. Like there is all other music in Algeria, but there is showy music. It's who I am. It's who my mother is. I fully, um, um, like my seeds clearly are uh, felt through my mother more than anything else. The heritage. I feel grateful when I listen to Hori I feel grateful to the fact that. Only a couple of days ago, completely unrelated to this conversation, I was talking to um, uh, someone from my hometown who does not have a showy background, and, and I was saying like, I before before I'm forty, I want to definitely book time and go back home in that part of East Algeria where I come from and my mother comes from, and I want I want to learn showy like I. I speak like five colonial languages. I don't. I don't speak my mother, my grandmother's tongue, and mm. and I want to be able to access. I've read a lot around um, uh, the research that Horia does with her texts and how how she interprets, how she does the interpretation musically, and and um, for me. The albums and the lives and all that material that she gathered is um, is medicinal. It's uh, it's needed for me and and hundreds of thousands of show kids and tens of millions of North Africans to be able to refer to and and also have you know have such a strong, well-educated uh, well-spoken, you know, um, and also an amazing performer on stage that, uh, and that's like the showy woman that's in, you know, uh, my mom was in the space of like literature and activism and that I also seen her in her own stage as that big, strong performer, um, that, always outperformed men, including my own father. So, um, yeah, this is like one of the feelings, it's, well, some of the feelings that come rushing through my mind and my heart when I talk or listen to Horea's music.
0: I mean, and Horea's story in terms of how she, you know, entered into performing, is exactly what you've been speaking about this whole this whole time, right? Of like this proverbial kidnapping of studying abroad in, in France, and then starting to sing lullabies and poems and almost like, for lack of a better term, like nursery rhymes from her own context um, in the diaspora for the diaspora, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's her, her music is. I mean that second track i mean the way the second track comes in invocation um let's go into that track and 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 let people have a listen Mm -hmm. but the way this track comes in after the second after the first track kind of like blows my
5: mind nabih ya fadhs bil habasatan wala
0: I was listening to this music and I was just like weeping in bed <laughs> I was just That's like, good. That's good. That's like good. tears were just like coming down and I was like what even am I listening to this is so this is too much
1: yeah I'm glad I'm not the only one so <laughs> yeah
0: I'm gonna ask you one last quick thing just around those field recordings I don't know if you might don't mind just giving a really quick introduction of what those field recordings are and how you gained access to them? To,
1: to put those field recordings in context, um, when I was living in London, flying from London to Algiers, I realized it was shorter uh, than a domestic flights uh, within Algeria from Algiers to Tamil Nadu. Like, like, you fly, you fly from Algiers to London in two hours, 20 minutes, you fly from Algiers to Tamil Nadu, like, like, it's almost three hours. I mean, yes, we, we know that Algeria is like Africa's biggest country. Uh, in terms of area, but when you actually go through the spaces or like I've traveled up and down the country from the coast all the way to the border of Mali or Niger by by bus, by car, flying, um, and you, you realize that there is so, there is so much out there that's not um, like, there are so many processes, ancestral processes, which um, which the majority of the population concentrated in the North don't engage with and they just, there is like a bit of a fear of the space or, or not understanding the meaningfulness of, of the Southern space. So um, me spending time in the South and, and having access to some of these recordings basically I, um I, it, it was part of the journey of exploring the heart of my own identity and the fringes of my identity and and where I share that North Africanity or where I share the Algerianity, uh, where I share that um, uh, Saharan type of identity because it's a very strong part of who we are uh, especially when it comes to music Sufism and and uh, and, uh, and trans now music and all of that so uh, I, I discovered spending time in in the south that there are so many occasions around the year and around the calendar where uh, people especially um, Uh, women between the age of like 16, 17 all the way to 80, 90 years old, where they uh, have a, they have certain dates, so many celebrations that we do not know of uh, outside of the classic, you know, weddings and Eid and Ramadan and all of it where there is a performance, there is a story, there is a there is a an, an element of themselves reminding themselves why they are there, who they are, uh, what it means to be in um, in in a in a geographic space that is called the Sahara. That is altering. That is changing. That is going through even more borders and scrutiny. That is going through conflict. That what it means for them to navigate survival Uh, and that happens through those sit down sessions led uh, a lot of them by women Uh, even if sometimes the vocalist can be a man but it's never really about them it's it's, it's the vision the production the concept in all in all is a um, is a women-led um, idea, and yeah. Some of these places are like cities where you can fly to southern Algeria. Uh, some of them are like far-flung places where you have to drive for like a day or two, or even longer, um, and for me, it's just a testimony of, um, of it's like a call, to for, for everybody in those North African Sahel and Saharan spaces to say that we exist and we exist this way and this is how we sound um, and um, yes like we can have this ambient like open air live recordings um, and there is so much there is so many layers into them in terms of uh, identity and culture and language and expression there is there's so many there's so much like raw vocal range in terms of uh, uh, mm-hmm. the cries the shouting the sgarit, the you the all, all all of those elements it, it provides a kind of space where people come and vociferate their feeling because you can't be sitting there you can just like you know, you can shout. You can, and people will follow you. They will follow your pain. They will follow your, um, they will follow your uh, anxious type of like gut felt, zharit, um, uh, uh, whatever, uh, whatever you're feeling. Yeah. And the humming there is like always, almost a constant kind of like humming. And the simplicity. A lot of a lot of these. Um I mean people in South Algeria being you know, Tuareg, Tamashek communities or Hausa, uh Bambara, uh whoever, whatever, they uh, Shabna, they 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 have a huge um, ancestral type of heritage when it comes to instruments and but when they go into these experiences they really simplify it to um, like goatskin uh, drums, which are very hard to sound to make them sound good if you don't know what you're doing and where the experience is actually it's not only um, it's not only drumming but constantly like wetting the skin and there's like water involved and then one string instruments hence the kind of that constant tonality and that humming and that uh, that layer that stitches everybody together so they can come in, shout, uh, create a pattern through clapping or or through uh, Zgari, through the UUs. So when I've done some of those field recordings, um, you know, I just do the setup and like press record and I just like forget about it and pull to the background and and I'm waiting to feel and see and hear, sorry. what, what that experience is telling me. Because when I look at everybody's eyes and this is what everybody's looking for in those gatherings, this is why they happen often. This is why there's so many recordings that uh, need to have much um, bigger and uh, wider life cycle. So um, mm-hmm. that's why I'm excited about this podcast, having you know, people in various spaces in the continent and the diaspora bumping into this you know one year down the line or 50 years down the line i would be like Walid mm-hmm. and zara those two weirdos had that <laughs> conversation yeah
0: great thank you Walid. um great that's it thank you so much Walid. thank cool. you so much for your time i know we've gone over because of the cutting out and on
1: no, the right. nice pleasure
0: thank you so much um, All right. i really appreciate you and i'll be in touch
1: Thank you very much. All right, have a good week.
0: Ah,
6: <laughs>
2: Oh, <laughs>
6: i
0: Enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Um, the field recordings are, are really just incredible and hypnotic, and um, yeah, in, in many ways, quite transcendental. And so, again, thank you so much, Walid, for such an incredibly generous and intimate uh, offering. This episode was co produced by myself, Zara Julius, and Walid Khalifi with support from A Breathing Space Ground from ProHobesh at Johannesburg. Music for this episode was produced by Bully. And as always, you can find links to all the content discussed in this episode in the show notes at konjo.co.za. That's K-O-N-J-O dot, C-O dot Z-A. Please share and rate this podcast five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. And next time, we'll be joined by Sudanese musician and ethnomusicologist Al-Sara from the group Al-Sara and the New Boutons, where we'll explore the use of music in propaganda in the military regimes of Sudan. Until then, stay safe.